Hey, family, this is Jessica Rice, Communications Director at Renaissance Church, here with Episode 5 of Real Love Conversations. This special edition of podcast is running in conjunction with our Real Love Sermon Series, which has been all about applying God's design, wisdom, and model to our lives so we can have thriving relationships of all kinds. We've been learning a lot on Sundays, and these Real Love Conversations are a complement to that series a space where we get to hear about the relationship experiences of some of the special people who make up the Renaissance community. These conversations have been super real, and as a result, they've also been a real blessing to all of us who've gotten to listen in. And today's conversation, where we sit down with Adrian, is really no exception. I cannot wait for you all to hear it. I've always thought of Adrienne as being one of the most fascinating people I know, given her many advanced and varied degrees, her sense of humor, and her travel adventures, and I was so grateful to hear about a more intimate piece of her story as she talked about finding Jesus and her 32-year journey of choosing to abstain from sex until marriage. There is so much here about the hard parts of life, about the big, overwhelming love of God, and about choosing to follow God even when we don't really know the next step. Family, let's hear from Adrian. So we are so grateful that you're here with us, that we get a chance to hear from you. And uh, I was thinking on my way here today, how one of the things that I've loved so much about these real love conversations is that it's kind of like I get to have all of the conversations that I want to have with people on Sunday mornings in the hallway when people are running around left and right and church has just gotten out. And I get small slivers of time with people, like two minutes to kind of hear, how are you doing? How are you doing? What's going on? What's the latest? And so I am relishing in these moments to sit down with special people like you and hear more about your experiences. And I know it's really going to bless a lot of people. So thank you so much for making this time. So we launched this podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I think it was after the first episode, the Sunday after the first episode, I'm in the hallway at church and you come up to me and you say, hey, I think I would like to sit down with you for one of the podcast episodes. And I said, oh, really? Okay, well, that would be great. What exactly do you think you might want to talk about? And what was your response? Do you remember? Being celibate? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I said, okay, now that I think is definitely something that we would all really benefit from hearing about. And so like what was the tug that said, this is something that I think I want to talk about? God, you know how when God wakes you up and says, you need to talk to someone. Well, instead of waking me up, I was sitting in the church Mm. and I was hearing about the podcast and the Lord said, you need to share your story. And I thought, this is way too intimate. It's way too private, Lord. What are you talking about? And God said, you need to share your story. Mm. They're talking about real love and this is a part of real love. So be brave, go up and tell Jessica that you want to be on her podcast. (laughs) Which is so egotistical. Like, hey, you know, 
I should be on your podcast. <laughs> Yo, but this is the thing. I'm so glad that you listened to that prompting from the Lord, from the Holy Spirit, because this is an amazing thing to talk about. And this is a part of real love. But it's one of those things, too, where it's not something that I would approach somebody, even if I knew they were living a life of celibacy, committed to celibacy, and say, hey, do you want to share that with a whole bunch of people? So uh, I'm just really grateful that you heeded the nudging from the Lord and we're sitting here today. So that's amazing. Uh, I think what would be great, and we've been doing this a little bit in all of our episodes, is kind of going back Mm -hmm. in order to go forward. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering and hoping that you can take us all back to a little bit about who you are, like how you grew up, maybe uh, some of the relationships that you grew up around that were perhaps formative of the way you think about relationships and had relationships. uh, And then we'll hopefully get up to where you are today. That would be great. But I need to uh, make a caveat. I I guess I don't know if it's a caveat or um, fair warning that this is going to be a grown folks conversation. So if anybody out there has little kids sitting around, you may not want to have them sitting around, but you may, you know, but I'm, I'm going to be very uh, blunt and very honest and very vulnerable. And so when I think about my origin story, when it comes to relationships, I have to go back uh, to my mom, right? So I grew up with mom, dad, two brothers, and my mother was a, a woman who spoke very plainly and straightforwardly about sex, Hmm. right? So when I was a little kid, I asked my mom, where do babies come from? Every little kid does. My mother said, well, men have a penis and women have a vagina and men put their penis in a woman's vagina and then she gets pregnant. And oh, by the way, the first time you do it, it's really going to hurt, but don't give up on it. It'll get better. Six years old. And you were six. Okay, I was six years old. How little were you? I was six years old. But my mother's point was this is a part of the human body and human function, and we shouldn't hide from it, right? Now, my mother and father also had standards. They were very clear that we were not to engage in sexual activity when we were immature. That was mm. not acceptable. She wasn't telling me at six to go out and have sex. And did you guys grow up in a Christian home? Were your no? Christians? So my okay. mother was raised in a Christian home. My mm-hmm. father was agnostic. Mm-hmm. You know, he thought there could be God out there, but who knows who God really is? Mm-hmm. And he felt that we shouldn't be baptized as children, as adults. We should make a decision about whether or not we wanted to be religious people. Mm-hmm. So in my early years, um, other than the fact that we had this huge family Bible in the living room, and that was where all the births and deaths were recorded, right? That's all I knew about that big book in the Bible, that everybody's birth and death was written in that book. Um, With the exception of that and the lady across the street who was the organist for the United Methodist Church in my neighborhood, and she needed some actors for the Wizard of Oz play they were doing one Halloween. (laughs) That's the church that That was was in my neighborhood. That was my exposure, right? But my mom... And she became the person that other people in the neighborhood would send their kids to, to talk about bodies and Mm. body functions and sex and stuff like that. So it was never any shame. Mm -hmm. And as a result, my brothers and I were the last in our community to really start having sex. Wow. Right. We weren't the rebellious teenagers going to show our parents that we were adults. We didn't do that. Right. Because sex wasn't a mystery to us. It wasn't a rebellion to us. If we had any questions at all, we could go to my mom and my mom would explain things. So I never saw sex as something that one did to proclaim their independence. My mom would always say, it's a beautiful gift, Mm. you know, and you want to give it as a gift when you're ready. And she also told me before I left for college 
that uh, if a boy ever says to you, if you love me, you would, then he doesn't love you. He's just manipulating you. Mm. So this is, you know, my mom equipped me to think about sex in a way that was not shame-based. Yeah. Right? But but very much had to be a part of an adult decision. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I was pretty athletic as a kid. I had a lot of male friends because I was athletic. I played football and baseball mm. primarily. And you grew up where? I grew up in, in Queens, uh-huh. in, in South Ozone Park, South Jamaica, Queens, near Kennedy Airport. And I became like the girl that all the guys would talk to, right? I guess kind of like my mother in some ways. I was the person people could always talk to. And I would hear all the stories about guys and how they liked women. And some of the women were for one purpose, some of them were for another purpose, mm. you know, and, and you just, uh, the blinders are off. Yeah. All right. And the way that, that young boys at the time and men looked at sex. And I also was the person that my girlfriends would come to and talk to me about. And the way they talked about it and relationships were really totally different wow. than the way the guys would talk about it. Right. So I would sit there in the middle of this, this as a teenager, and I would hear these two very different ways of looking at affection and those kinds of things. Right. Um, so I went off to college. I was a virgin. I was a virgin when I graduated from college. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I went to college at 16. Mm -hmm. So part of that was also my older brothers on campus threatening anybody who even looked at me. (laughs) (laughs) It wrecked my social life. It just really, yes. Totally wrecked my social life Uh, because I was everybody's little sister, right? Which could be very frustrating at times. Yeah. It felt... I felt rejection mm. a lot. You know, I didn't understand the ways that I understand now that people were looking to protect me. Mm-hmm. I just felt like they didn't want me. Yeah. I'm not chosen I'm like not some of those one. other girls. Yeah. I'm yeah. not, I'm, I'm goofy. Mm-hmm. I'm not sophisticated, you know, that kind of thing. So that was a little bit, I get a little that. bit tough. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so then as you graduate college, you come into womanhood, adulthood, what happens from there with your relationships, with your thoughts about sex? Well, it's funny because, um, you know, I had my little crushes, you know, when I was in college and high school. I remember my first crush in high school. I gave him a blueberry pie. <laughs> How did that go over? It didn't go well. <laughs> He was like, oh, gee, thanks for the pie. And he turned his back to me. And I was like, well, dang. Okay. <laughs> that, didn't, that didn't go very well. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I had my my crushes. And again, because I was young and, and you know, guys didn't really pay much attention to me in college. It was just, I just sometimes was lonely. Yeah. You know? I sometimes was lonely. And I remember there were a few people who said, well, if you just start having sex with these guys, then mm. you won't be so lonely. And I said, well, but that's not why you have sex. Mm. You don't have sex because you're lonely. I always believed you had sex because you loved someone and that person loved you and you wanted to share this amazing gift. Because again, at this point, it wasn't based on my faith. Yeah. It was based on my respect of my personhood and my heart. Right. Yeah, and it sounds like some of the things that your mom kind of instilled in you. Exactly, you know. Um, and and also seeing a bunch of my girlfriends who went through really bad heartbreak and heartache, 
um, particularly after in high school, after having sex with a boy who was like, I'll love you forever. And then they would have sex with the boy and then the boy would go away and they would end up at my house crying to my mom. Mm-hmm. Right. And I would hear their stories and I was like, I don't want to do that. If someone's going to reject me, I'd rather they reject me before we have sex rather than after we have sex. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so that was kind of in my head that I didn't think of it as something to trade for affection. I thought of it as a, a gift to cherish versus a commodity to trade. Wow. Right. So, which all leads to when I decided to start having sex, right? I was not in love. (laughs) So what changed for you then? What I decided was I was just so sick and tired of not knowing what it was. Mm -hmm. The mystique of it. The mystique of it all. Everyone else seems to know what this thing is like. Yeah. Yeah. I'm tired of being on the outside. I was intellectual in my head and I was like, well, you know, I'm mature now. I want to see what this is like. And I literally um, convinced someone I was very, very close to, a very, very good friend, to do it. Wow. And we did it. Mm-hmm. And it was okay. I mean, mm-hmm. it was fun. It was fun, but it wasn't like what everybody was talking about. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, maybe it's because it wasn't that big love thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was just this thing to do. Um, so from there, I started having relationships. Now, at this point, I am working. I eventually go to graduate school. I'm now more age appropriate. And I started having relationships and I um, became sexually active. Right. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed sex as an activity. Mm -hmm. Right. It was like a lot of fun, Mm -hmm. but it still wasn't, um, I think what I was looking for. Mm. I don't know how to explain that because in many ways it was exactly what I was looking for in terms of the physicalness of it. Yeah. But in other ways, it wasn't quite what I was looking for in terms of wanting to be cherished. Wow. There's a part of me that always has wanted to be cherished. Mm. And I didn't, my dad and I had a very odd relationship growing up, Mm. right? And everyone expected me to be like his precious little girl. And I wasn't, right? As the only girl. I was the only girl. Mm -hmm. But my dad had issues around women who had hurt him in his past. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of kept hands. Kept you at a distance. At a distance. Yeah. And I've always wanted to be cherished. Wow. And so that's what I was looking for. That kind of relationship where I felt cherished. And I didn't feel that. With none of the guys I dated, none of the guys I had sex with, and yes, there was more than one, mm-hmm. um, I enjoyed the activity. It was great fun. Mm-hmm. But I never felt cherished. Wow. And I also began to feel like... For so many, you know, you're talking about now in my 20s, for so many of my contemporaries, um, they had an expression, I don't know if they still do, um, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Mm-hmm. We were entering into, really into the sexual freedom phase. Yeah. I mean, I came up during disco. Yes, I just aged myself. Disco was the best era of music, period. Okay. <laughs> Studio 54, dancing on the tabletops. Yeah, we did it. Um, and people should know that you were just waving your hands in the air dancing as you said that. Okay. Like, <laughs> getting, the, getting our groove on dancing all night long. And it was a time of, you know, the, the 60s, 70s ushered in the beginning of the sexual freedom. And then the disco era is late 80s, early 90s. We were like full blown into it. Right. Right. Um, Do you feel like it was, I mean, sexuality was more tied to even like womanhood and like, I mean, I don't know what you would say society is saying at that point in terms of the sexual revolution and women and sex. Like, what do you feel like was the message that 
I think the message, the message was that women are finally free to find their, their pleasure point, Mm. right? That sex wasn't about pleasing a husband. Sex wasn't about doing what, what the church dictated. Uh, Sex wasn't about procreation. Sex was about pleasure and Mm. women could go and grab all the pleasure they wanted to. All right. But pleasure that is simply physical is not complete and total full pleasure. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's just not in anything that we do. If it's completely physical, it's not complete pleasure. Pleasure is about more than a physical feeling, right? It, there's so much more that goes into it. There's this headspace that goes into it. There's this emotion that goes into pleasure, right? If pleasure was merely physical, then like having a, a chocolate candy bar would be the most fulfilling thing in the whole wide world and we would never need to do anything else. But right. there's something more to it, right? And I really, I've always wanted to be cherished. And when I say cherished, I mean someone seeing me for who I am and loving all my quirks and all my crazy points and all my not so great points and all my wonderful points and adoring me, mm-hmm. you know? And that's part of what drew me to God mm. is that I felt that in the presence of God, right? So as I find my way, I always believed there was God, like my dad. I always believed there was something, but I didn't know what it was. And I remember when I was young and I said to, the, to God, now I know to be the Lord, Jesus. I said, show me who you are and I will follow you for the rest of my life. Wow. I just want to know who you are and I will follow you for the rest of my life because I know you're out there. I know I'm not a mistake. I know that that there's a reason we're all here. I don't quite know what it is. And whatever you tell me, I'm following it. If it's, you know, show me who you are. And I studied different faiths. I studied different spiritual thought practices. I looked at all this stuff. And every single time, the road led to Jesus. Every single time. So I wasn't someone who was told what to believe. I went on a trip with God in exploration. Right, which which is it, it, it sounds like it's two different paths, like the sex thing and exploration, but in some ways it comes together, mm. right? Because in the midst of this exploration of God, I started feeling less and less satisfied with sex. Mm. So again, the sex was great, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's no getting around it. It was great, but it was like, so what? It's not feeding me, mm-hmm. right? It's not really feeding me. So it wasn't that I had a bad relationship and I was like, oh, I never want to do this again. Oh, I'm going to tell you the, the day I became celibate. So God had been drawing me toward him mm-hmm. and saying, I want all of you. I mm-hmm. want all of you. I don't want you to be distracted by these other things. Just you and me. You know, I want, it, I want to, you to learn of me and I want to spend time with you and I want to love you. Right. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay, that, that works. That's great. But I really like sex. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that's wonderful on Sunday and Wednesday night Bible study, but I'm enjoying this with this person, you know? And I remember, uh, there was a gentleman who was, if I could have created him in a factory, this is who I would have created. Mm-hmm. Right. He's Just, fine. Fine. Girl, fine. Fine. Come on now. Like He's, Idris would hope to be as fine Idris as he would was. hope to be as hope fine be as this fine man. As okay, was. I got it. Okay. I got the picture. Built, yes. fine, gorgeous. We have sex. It is without a doubt the best sex <laughs> I'd had in my life. <laughs> and I woke up that morning and I looked up at the ceiling. And I said, 
I was created for something more than this. Mm. Okay, God, mm. I'll do it. Mm. Um, and that's when I became celibate after the best sex of, that mm. I had ever had. Mm. Wow. Because the best sex I'd ever had still didn't fulfill Still me. didn't fulfill you. Something was still missing. Wow. So, you know, me and my logical self, I said, well, this will last about six months. You know, me and Jesus, mm -hmm. we're going to go on this little six-month mm -hmm. celibacy thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be all up in the word and grow deeply in my faith. And this is going to be over. And a friend started teasing me. And I was living in Kansas City at the time. And she said, you're not going to make it a year. And I said, I can make it a year. She says, well, okay, maybe you can make it a year, but I know you won't make it five years. And I said, I'll make it as long as I need to make it. And she said, if you make it five years, I'll put a, a statue up in your honor in the town square. And we laughed. Oh my gosh, we laughed. I was like, I don't have to worry about that. 32 years later. Wow. 32 years later. 32 years later. That's incredible. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. If you had told me then that 32 years later, <laughs> I would still be like this. I don't know that I honestly would have said I'd do it. Right. right. If we're going to be honest and truthful about it. Well, you just answered the question I was going to ask. I was going to say, if I'm talking to you 32 years ago, what would you then have said if I said, yeah, 32 years from now, you're going to be celibate? What would you have felt? Child, Not even just what something. you would have said, but what would you <laughs> what would you have said? What would you have been feeling you know, it's funny because when I, I went to seminary and my first week in seminary, I met a woman and I think I had been celibate maybe five years, maybe five years at that point. And she said she had been celibate 13. I said, oh, oh no, Jesus. <laughs> Can't be me. This. It won't be me because mm -mm, I know you're going to bring my husband because that's the agreement God and I had. Okay. That I would do this the way it is in the word. Yes. Right. That I yes. would honor God yes. with my body and that until I was married, I would abstain. Um I really didn't think it would be a 32-year journey. So there's two ways to answer your question, right? I think had I been the young woman I was and said, and you said to me, then it would be 32 years, I would have said no. Mm -hmm. Not but doing being it. who I am and seeing what these 32 years have been about, then I would say, yes, it was worth the journey. Absolutely, I would do it again. But if you ask me, yes. <laughs> then... I would have said, Jesus, there's got to be another way. Mm -hmm. You know, especially when you see two things happening, right? The one thing you see is people who were encouraged by my walk of abstinence and decided to be abstinent and a year later met their husbands. How did that feel for you? Seeing Crazy. those people. Yeah. Like, Lord, what's happening here? Yes. Like they only did that because they saw me doing it. You gave them a husband. And you gave them a husband. I'm still sitting here. Wow. Really? And I remember one woman in particular, love her to my heart. She was like, I'm not doing it. You can forget it. And I, I didn't try and talk anybody into it. You know, mm -hmm. it's just people get around me and they're like, oh, because well, you're doing it. Should I be doing it? And I'm like, that's between you and God. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you what God is telling you to do. Mm -hmm. I can tell you what the word says and what I have committed to. Right. Mm -hmm. So she didn't want to be celibate. And she was in these horrible relationships. And finally, she had a horrible breakup. She goes, okay all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to just get close to God and I'm going to hear what God is saying. And within a year, she met the man of her dreams and I met him and he was wonderful and he was being celibate. And I was like, what the, what? Jesus, this crazy up in here. <laughs> 
what the what? And then <laughs> on the other side are these people who were not being celibate sure. and were getting their groove thing on yes. and telling me about it. And they're meeting her husbands. Yeah. And I'm sitting there like, okay, okay. Yeah. Did I misunderstand something? Did yes. I miss, did I not hear you clearly? Was I being overly zealous about this? Yes. What is going on? Well, I think you bring up this thing, this concept, this this thing that many of us confront in our walks with Jesus, where we feel the Lord, we feel Jesus telling us to do something, to maybe release something. And often we have to be self-aware to know, well, am I letting go or being obedient with the thought that if I do A, I will get B? Or is it something else? And so I wonder, I, I have to imagine for you to have been on this journey for so long that you may have had those moments where you're looking at these other people who are not being obedient, mm-hmm. getting their husbands or are being obedient. And one year later they find their husband. Um, but for you to stick on the journey, even seeing that, that there had to be something that, or that you had to have had something deeper than this like tit for tat kind of transactional yeah thinking about this. And I, I would love for you to share some of that in terms of where the obedience in this area flows from. I love God. And I love God because God loves me so intensely. I have never in my life felt as loved as I do by Jesus. I just don't. And I believe that my abstinence, my not putting a man ahead of God, um, just deepen that love that we have for each other. Mm. A lot of people only know words and sermons. They don't know God, Mm. right? But once you know God, once God has made love to you, meaning Mm. has delighted your spirit, has delighted your soul, all you want is to be in that place with God, you know? Um, So it's not, I don't want anyone listening to this to think it was an easy path. It's not an easy path. But when you have been loved that intensely, and I know that that intensity comes from my saying, I give it all up for you, God. Everything I care about, I give it all up for you. And in exchange, he gives me all of him. Right? That's what keeps me going. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit steps in every now and again and gets you straight. Let's, mm. this, this, you know, there are times when the Holy Spirit would step in and yank people away from me, which is mm. hilarious. One day I may have to do a comedy routine about some of the, the guys that the Holy Spirit scared away from me, <laughs> literally and figuratively. Like, like you, I, you know, I was convinced there was this one situation with this, this gentleman who, another really gorgeous one, 6'6". Six, six. <laughs> <laughs> Who <laughs> needed a moment just to take I needed that a moment. <laughs> I tried to grandfather in because I was like, well, you know, Lord, I actually knew this gentleman before I made this commitment. Mm. So it's okay if I slip up a little bit right here because see, it was, was, it was in my heart before I made this here commitment. So I'm going to just slip up just a little bit right here with this thing. And girl, when I tell you that we got close 
And the, there was a look on his face at one point that he looked terrified and backed up and like, just, it was crazy. And the Lord was like, I'm not playing. And I was like, oh, it was almost like he saw the protection hmm. and wasn't going to touch it. Then I had another gentleman years after that tell me that God told him, if you're going to step to this woman, you're going to step to correct because this is my child, my precious child, and my hedge of protection is around her. And if you're not going to step correct, you need to go away. And he went away, right? And at first I was like, well, God, that was kind of mean. <laughs> yeah. But then when I thought about it, I was like, that's what protection does. Remember when I told you about my big brothers in college? Mm -hmm. They told people in advance, don't mess with her. Mm-hmm. Because you will have to answer to us. And that's what God was doing for me. And I look back on that now, and I look at all the situations that God saved me from. I could tell you, when I heard the stories of some of the men that I thought I wanted to be with, and, and what has happened, what has happened to them, what's happened to the women in their lives, I would have been cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I would have been <laughs> crazy. Mm -hmm. And God has put a hedge of protection around me. Right. And has helped me in my walk. Because I'm telling you, there were times when I was like, I'm trading in my card. OK, I'm trading yeah. in my card. I'm going back. Everybody else is doing it. Yes. But that was th those times weren't the majority. Mm. Those times were not the majority. Those times were definitely in the minority. Um, and I remember one time. I have there are very few people I share openly with about this with. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, because when I first started to be abstinent and celibate was celebrated. Oh, you're a woman after God's own heart. You're the kind of woman a man would want, a Christian man would want to be with. But then when it got past five years, eight years, ten years, then I was a fanatic. Wow. Right? And there were guys who were like, oh, no, 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 no. I could never be with a woman like you. Christian men. I could never be with a woman like you because I got to get my groove thing on and da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, well, I want to get my groove thing on too in marriage. No, I'm not waiting for all that, you know? And I remember a friend of mine who's a pastor. One day I, I was talking to him. We were... I don't know, in person, pre, way pre-pandemic, talking about something. I don't remember what it was. We having coffee. And I told him, I said, that's it. If I don't have a husband by this time next year, I'm just going to find somebody and do this thing because right. I'm just tired of not doing this right. thing because I enjoyed sex, yeah. right? And I, I was probably 15 years in, maybe, maybe 18 years in. And he looked at me and he said, how would you feel if you decide to go ahead and have sex with some random good-looking guy and the next day you're sitting in church and a man walks in and God tells you that was your husband. He said, you would have thrown away 18 years of waiting for God to bring you your husband for one night. Would that really be worth it to you? I was like, okay. So every step along the way, when I felt like I was going to fall, mm -hmm. God would send someone somehow to encourage me like this brother did. Um, wow. You know, um, or young women who will come to me and say, I admire your stand. And I, you know, the fact that you could do this for so long says that I can do it too. And that keeps me going. You know, um, it's a day by day thing. You don't miss sex every day. I don't want to people to think that for 32 years I missed sex every day. Nah, there, there, there were periods when it was like, whatever, you know, it's, there were too many wonderful, good, incredible things happening in my life to miss it. But there are times when I really miss it. Yeah. You know? 
Um, and I have to trust God during those times. So as you have been committed to celibacy and say you are meeting different people uh, along the journey, what has it been like in terms of sharing with those people maybe that you're getting to know and maybe dating? What has it been like sharing that commitment? Because I think there's a lot of people at all different ages in our community who are abstinent, who are trying to honor God with their bodies in this way. Uh, but certainly I've heard the stories of in New York City, even as you mentioned, like the Christians that they're dating are kind of like, what? I'm not doing that. And what would you say like about your experiences with that and or how you would encourage people as they go through navigating those moments? Um, so I tell people, people ask me, particularly early on, um, how can you how can you do this? And then people have this issue around celibacy versus abstinence. Mm. They're like, you're not celibate, you're abstinent. Celibates are nuns. They don't plan on ever doing it ever again doing in life, it. right? Mm -hmm. Whereas abstinence means you're not going to do it for a period of time. And I'm like, to me, they're interchangeable. Mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of people do use the words interchangeably. Yeah, yeah. To me, they're, they're pretty interchangeable. Um, but I used to tell people early on, uh, particularly in my 30s, that one of the ways that you do this is by not being butt naked in the bed with Luther Vandross playing with the lights out. Good, good advice. <laughs> okay. Solid advice. If I'm butt naked in the bed with the lights out and Luther Vandross playing. I told y'all this was a grown folks conversation. Um, I'm going to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know many people who wouldn't. Right. So you can't set yourself up to fail. Yeah. Right. You have to, um, know your boundaries, mm -hmm. whatever that boundary is for you and try really hard not to cross it. Yes. And I think a lot of people don't get in community with people and share even for encouragement. This is my boundary. Help me with this. Someone else, you know, like a lot of times it's two people in a relationship who are trying not to get it on, who are each other's accountability partner. And that doesn't really work so well. That doesn't work at all. Right. That doesn't work at all. Um, I would have to say that I receive a, a couple of different reactions from men that I've dated. Um, one is, you must be crazy. Uh, I, there's something not quite right about this. We're healthy human beings and this is pleasurable. So bye. Um, I have had others who say, wow, that's really admirable. I think that's really incredible, uh, but that's not what I want to do. So bye. Mm -hmm. I have not had a really, really long-term relationship since this has happened. Um, I think for various, for various reasons, as you know, I travel a lot and I'm, you know, doing lots of things, mm -hmm. but even when relationships look like they could go a little bit further often, and I don't, t I tend not to bring it up. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, but when things tend to go a little bit further and I explain that this is, um, how I want to be. A lot of guys have told me that's admirable and it's wonderful, but that's not how they want to be in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And how do you process those moments, getting that feedback, that response? Um, I've been known to cry. Mm -hmm. um, that's honest. It's, it's you know, it's it can be very hurtful because I think that there could be something wonderful. Um, but in some ways, it makes me even more sure that I did the right thing. Because again, I want someone to cherish me for me. I never had any trouble attracting male attention when I was sexually active. Mm. 
never had any trouble. But then when I became celibate, it became more of a challenge. And it goes again back to my mom saying, if they say, if you love me, you would, hmm. they don't love you. They're manipulating you. Right. So I have it in my head that number one, sex is my gift to my spouse. Um, number two, my spouse will know that he can trust me because I was loyal to my commitment to God. Mm -hmm. And so he will never have to worry that I will in some way, shape or form betray him in that way because I was able to, to maintain this with the hope of the help of the Holy Spirit, right? I've been loyal to my vow and loyal to my God. And so my husband should take, you know, great joy in that. And at the same time, I, I realize when I get through the tears that God is protecting me because it matters to me to be cherished. And you and I'm not being cherished if all you want, not all, but if a huge part of this is sex. And to the point where if you can't get it right now, mm. then you don't want to be in this relationship at all. You don't even want to explore if six months down the line, mm -hmm. we decide we've found the love of our lives and we want to marry. Mm -hmm. you, you can't even get past that to get to find out what's on the other end because this, of this barrier. Mm. You know, and that's, that's challenging for me. I want to be cherished. Anybody can be can have sex, literally mm -hmm. anybody. Mm -hmm. And here's the other piece of it. Okay. So let's also be honest. I crave intimacy. Mm -hmm. I crave intimacy. When I talk to some of my younger sisters and brothers, when they talk about the first time they see someone, the first time they date someone, they're having sex with them. And then they decide whether or not they want to see them again. Well, you know, we had sex and I, I kind of liked it. So maybe I'll go out on a second date. That blows my mind, mm -hmm. right? This beautiful gift of your body right? That, that you want to share with someone and ex experience the ecstasy that comes from that kind of sharing. And you just want to give it to everybody and anybody. That's not sexual freedom. That's not a sexual revolution. That's not, that, that's not it all. And then you kid yourself to think that that's enough. It's never enough. It never has been. When people tell you in their, their quiet moments, right? Because I'm also a person that people come and talk to. Mm -hmm. And they'll tell you in their quiet moments, this is not what I expected. This is not what I wanted, but this is what I'm expected to be. As a woman in 2021, this is what I'm expected to do. And I'm here to say, no, you don't have to do what's expected of you. You can do what honors you, what honors God, right? I mean, my wedding night, y'all better just like batten down the hatches. Yeah, no, we're, we're going to get far, far away. <laughs> Because I think the be bombs like a, are going to be going off. So I think we definitely are going to we give some space. Okay, give some space. Child, give some space. Because it's just, you know, that's so silly. That is so funny. I do want to go back to, I mean, you are, you are a very learned woman. Okay? So not everyone might, everyone might not know that you are a lawyer, that you have a seminary degree, that... You've traveled all around the world. Uh, and I think you mentioned, you touched on uh, an argument that I think many people have around the conversation of sex, which is that like, it's unnatural to abstain. Mm. I, I hear that a lot. I think many people would, 
I think many people have used that as like, it's just not natural. God created us as sexual beings, which I think is true. Mm -hmm. But, you know, people say it's unnatural to abstain. And I wonder, I know that you don't, um, you don't hesitate to investigate, you know, the commitments that you've made as a part of your faith. Uh, And so I wonder what you say in response to that. So, yeah. So it's funny because I don't know that people necessarily know what is or isn't natural um, because it's something that they want to do. Right. So um, like, I'm okay. I'm fine. So if it was unnatural, then I think that there would be something weird about me. Right. Like maybe I'd have my eyeball hanging out my head or, you know, or something like, you know what I mean? Like I'm making jokes about it, but it's like I'm not um, I'm not suffering from any kind of mental distress over it. Right. I'm not suffering from any physical distress over it. It's it's. You know, it's, it's so hard because people say that to me all the time and I'm like, but I'm living this. Mm. People tell you yeah. how you should be feeling yeah, about like, it. Oh, this is not natural. I'm like. But I'm living it and I'm okay. And I feel pretty natural right now. <laughs> and I feel really natural right now. Uh-huh. I don't know. I, I just think that people have been told it's not natural. And that's because we live in a highly sexualized society. And I think that that sex um, intercourse is one of God's greatest gifts to us. I think it's, it's a phenomenal gift. But I think it can also be um, a weapon. Mm-hmm. if it's not handled with care and it can be a weapon against us and it can be a weapon against another person. Mm-hmm. All right. Because we get so confused, right? We get so confused. Um, and we like, we like, I think about women who have stayed longer with men than they should have. And I'm talking heterosexual. That's my experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so they put up with a lot of stuff. I know men who have, you know, been with women who were dogging them because the sex was so good, right? Mm-hmm. That's not natural. That's not natural to stay in a, a relationship that's less than fulfilling, that may even be abusive because the sex is so good. What's natural about that? You know, that's not natural at all. I think to feel the warmth of the human touch is what is natural. Mm-hmm. And there are different ways to get that. So when people talk about sex being natural. I think what they mean is human touch is natural. Mm-hmm. And right? what do you do on days Girl, when you- Girl, massages are a okay. wonderful thing. Okay. Yes. Pre-pandemic, yeah. I had a monthly massage because I felt I needed to be touched. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a hugger mm-hmm. at church. I'll see people again, pre-pandemic and I will hug them that I need just to feel human touch. Right. So that's a, that's a big part of it. That's what's natural, natural. Mm-hmm. human touch. Um, I think there are times when when it's 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 tough, you know, when I want to have sex, it's particularly early on yeah. when I was doing this. Um, it would be tough, mm-hmm. you know. And so sometimes I would snuggle with someone, or mm-hmm. cuddle with someone, but then I was like, "Whoop! No, this is not going." Whoop! 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 Hold up! Hold on! Back it up! Just everybody knows I backed up with you. I just don't want it. I don't want to give you simplistic answers, mm-hmm. uh, especially for maybe people who are newer on the journey. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's it's how do I how do I express this? 
it wasn't so much giving, getting away from sex and getting away from men because of something that was lacking in either of those things, either in men or in sex. It was more moving towards God. Mm-hmm. Right. And wanting to like, seriously, like we say, if you can use anything, God, you can use me. Here I am. Mm-hmm. And God said to me, I want your body. Mm-hmm. I want your body. I want your spirit. I want your body. I want you to stop having sex. Mm-hmm. I want you to commit to trust me. Trust. He kept saying, have faith in me. Trust me. And that was a tough walk for me in my journey with God. Trusting God and having faith in God was tough. I was a woman. I am a woman who is used to setting a goal and going for it and getting it. And God is like, there's no five-year plan here. There's no one-year plan here. You're going to trust me and you're going to walk through this journey with me. right? And you said that you love me, you trusted me, and anything that you would sacrifice for me, this is what I'm asking of you. You said, if I revealed to you who I was, you would follow me for the rest of your life. This is what I'm asking of you. And I decided to take that journey. And it's been a journey, you know, there've been some valleys, but there've been so many more mountaintops. And I, and so, you know, the theme of this is real love, right? And so what's all of this got to do with real love? It's like everything to do with real love. Because what real love is, in my experience of it, is a joy that's undescribable. And you have to go through something to get to that place. We want like microwave joy, like, okay, Lord, I love you. Come into my heart. Now I got the joy of the Lord. Mm -hmm. No, it takes a moment to get there, right? Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, Jessica, that the joy I have in God is so much greater, is worth so much more than just having sex. Mm. And I can only imagine that when God brings me together with this person who, I I don't know if this person will have been celibate 32 years or 32 days. I don't, I don't know. Mm. Um, But when God brings me, because I still have faith that it will happen. Mm -hmm. But when God brings me with this person and we come together, that it will be indescribable. It will be absolutely worth the wait. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, I have my moments where I'm like, well, what about me, Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think that that is, I think that's understandable. I think many of us feel that, well, what about me, Jesus? for all kinds of different reasons, right? We look around, we look to our left and our right, and we've trusted God with something. It might be our bodies. It might be our finances. It might be forgiveness. Uh, and we're seeing others maybe not committing that same thing to right. God and seemingly being blessed or getting the thing that we're hoping for. Um, and... So it's a normal, I think it's a very normal thing that all of us feel for different reasons. Uh, In those moments, what do you cling to? I cling to the joy that God has blessed me. I can't even begin to tell you how God has blessed me. The peace of mind that I have, the 
adventures that God has taken me on all over the world. You know, God's like, I'm your husband. I got you. I'll provide for you until I send a human. You don't have to worry about that. And God has done that. Um, I cling to the bullets I've dodged because God has allowed me. See, the other thing is you let some years go by. The old folks would say, just get a little bit older, right? (laughs) You let some years go by and you look back at what you avoided. Um, that I I see where it would have been a disaster had I remained involved with someone, people, or gotten involved with other people, and I dodged bullets. You know, had I not been celibate, maybe I would have been so distracted by trying to get male attention and being the perfect kind of woman to attract the perfect kind of guy, whether that guy was a Christian or otherwise, because, you know, we have the perfect kind of guys in the church too. It's not just outside the church that I wouldn't have the relationship where I could hear from God. You know, um, I don't regret it. I don't regret it at all. You know, it is my sincere prayer that it doesn't last too much longer. I hear it. I hear you. (laughs) But I don't regret it. Even the hard times, even the times when I cried in my pillow, didn't understand. Um, I don't regret it. Mm. I, I embrace it. And I want to encourage other men and women of God to embrace it. Mm-hmm. You really get to know God on another level when you um, put aside that, that level of, of human pleasure for spiritual pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think unfortunately a lot of people have lost sight of the idea that uh, sex for marriage is a way of honoring God with our bodies. I mean, I just think that that's lost for a lot of people. I think that non-Christians have a general sense, though, that Christians are supposed to do this. Maybe, but I think that there's a lot of people who think of it as just one more rule. Yeah. That it's an antiquated rule. And it's not, in fact, a rule that has real purpose behind it, right? Um, And so I think there's so much that many of us could learn about what it really means to honor God with all of us, Mm -hmm. our mind, our spirit our bodies, our finances, you know, like all the things. Yeah. Um, and and both men and women have to reclaim that. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's tough mm-hmm. in the society we find ourselves in. I don't think it's impossible, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, it's it it's tough. But, but it's so worth it. Mm-hmm. It's so worth it, you know. It's so worth it. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I've missed out. You know what I mean? Like, I, I do want a husband. I want a husband, In Jesus. You aren't listening, Jesus. Okay. She's on the main line. I'm on the main line <laughs> with two or three are gathered in your name. I want a husband. But I want, you know, I want us to be one of those silly love stories that people look at, you know, the old folk together, like, when we just have all these years together with, you know, I had to, de- God dealt with, so during the time of celibacy, God was dealing with me and my emotional stuff. Hmm. 
right? You don't, you're not just sitting around, right? God's dealing with issues around me and my dad, me and my mom, me and other men I have been in relationship with. It's like a journey you're going on. So you can be at a place where you can now give your heart wholly to someone and not hurt someone. Like what, what did Jordan say? Like what you don't deal with does it's, yes yes it's buried Emer- alive emotions don't die they get buried alive they get buried alive so what god mm-hmm. has done in these 32 years is make sure that all that crap that was buried alive got dug up and that god helped me to process it without having some poor dude to have to suffer for it right like it's me and god dealing with these issues and god would show me different things so it's not that i was just sitting around staring out the window saying when's he coming when's he coming when's he coming there was work to do mm-hmm. right there was work to do and there was understanding who i am understanding who god is calling me to be understanding what the world has put in my head that's not of god right and you have to this is the other thing i wanted to say you have to be careful what you ingest hmm. right there's certain things i can't look at yeah. There's certain TV shows I can't look look at. There's certain music I can't listen to mm-hmm. because it it's 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 not healthy. Mm-hmm. Calling women out their name, mm-hmm. you know, and saying that this is what women should be doing, and you know, the, the, this my mm-hmm. it's grown for conversation. But I'm not gonna get that grown. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, sexualizing everything. Mm-hmm. All right, I can't listen to that. Mm-hmm. I can't watch that. That mm-hmm. doesn't help me in my walk mm-hmm. to becoming the woman that God has created me to be. And the mm-hmm. kind of woman that can can love and give and share and encourage and nurture and build up. Um, and I think the unfortunate thing is with you saying that, I think sometimes people hear that and they assume it's kind of this version of Christianity that's don't do this and don't listen to this or don't go here or don't go there. But it's kind of like uh, our dear friend Mike Kelsey was talking about as, as you do step closer toward God and give him things, he changes your appetite. That's exactly right. Right. That you would begin to love the things that he loves, hate the things that he hates. That's right. Uh, and so I think what you, what you've said is so important that it's not about I don't do these things and I just cut these things out and I'm I'm legalistically kind of saying no to all these things because this is not what a Christian does. But it is that I am pursuing God. I am moving toward Him. And with that, there's a falling away of some other things. Right. Um, but it's not, I think too many times uh, we can think, we can we can project our disp- our our dissatisfaction because we've created this legalistic view of things right. as opposed to starting with Jesus starting with God recognizing how much he loves us in a way as you said that's like unlike anything else we could experience and when you really get that from your head to your heart the outpouring of that is Man, I want more of that. I want more of you, God. I want to I want to do things differently to be with you, God. And I think when we do that, things in our lives do begin to change. I agree with you. And it's not I think if you if you're legalistic about it, you're more attracted to it. If you say no, 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 then you're more attracted to it, right? And I think part of it is also one I want to get closer to God, but two I want to honor who I am and the woman that I am, right? And so I know what, my heart's very tender. 
Hmm. And not everyone has as tender a heart as I do. Mm-hmm. You know, I know who I am. So I, so God has taught me to protect my, my heart mm-hmm. and has drawn me close to his heart mm-hmm. or vice versa. It's drawn me close to his heart and I've learned to protect my heart. And those things do start to fall away. Mm-hmm. What do you say to the person who uh, has maybe been absent for a little while, is thinking about abstinence, but when they imagine doing it for a long time, that, that idea just terrifies them. Yeah. I think, um, I am the only person I know who has gone this long for whatever reason. Um, maybe it's for this moment right now. Mm-hmm. Um, most people who I've known who have taken this journey have not gone as long, not because they gave up, but because, God brought them there. I call soulmate. Jordan would not. We can have a conversation about that another time. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Because I don't believe soulmate is that one person and only person. I think it's something different, but okay. okay so you have a different def- a different definition from the popular version that Jordan shot down. Yeah, this I, People can find that sermon in the archives. Look that <laughs> sermon up in the archives. The I was sitting there going, what's he talking about? Cause they're soulmates. What's the matter? Anyway, uh, I think take it a, a day at a time. Mm. Like with anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, make the commitment to God. Ask God to help you do it because you cannot do it on your own. You know, that, that becomes egotistical. That becomes uh, all kinds of other hubrisy kinds of things that this is not about, Oh, look what I did. Pat myself on the back. No, I took it one day at a time and I asked God to hold my hand. And the other thing is if you're really brave and I, I recommend that everybody do this, I have said to God, God, if this person is not of you, don't let anything happen. I don't care if I kick and scream and holler and fuss and cry and lay on the ground and have a fit. If this person is not of you, if this is not the person you have for me, don't let it come to pass. And that's a big girl prayer. That's a big guy prayer, big boy prayer, Mm -hmm. right? Because God honors our prayers. And I have been in situations where I have kicked and screamed and hollered and said, that's the one right there. Mm -hmm. And God has not allowed it to happen Mm -hmm. because I asked him to protect my heart. So, um, I, I, you know, what I think would be wonderful is everyone would listen to this and go, yeah, great. Now I want it. That's not going to happen. Right. I think they're going to be people who will listen to this and God will tug on their hearts and say, think about it. Bring your concern to me. Think about it. Bring your prayer to me. Think about it. What is it that you're looking for? Hmm. You can find it in me. Are you satisfied with me? Are you always looking for me in someone else? Right? I want people to think about those kinds of questions that God asks of us. Do you really want real love or do you want a substitute? Do you want real love? Because I am the lover of your soul. And when you get me, you get everything else, Mm -hmm. literally everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in the end, sex is meant to ultimately even point back. It's meant to be a glimpse of the love, of the ecstasy, of the the joys experienced in him. Absolutely. And, you know, and we, we, we can often love 
the right things in the wrong order, Mm -hmm. as we often say, Mm -hmm. and sex, just like anything else, often gets placed in the wrong order. But it's really just meant to point back to him. It is God's greatest gift to us because it is meant for us to transcend this heavenly, this earthly realm and get a glimpse of heaven. And when it's right and it's intimate because two people became intimate before they became sexually involved, two people gave their lives to the Lord and let God knit their hearts together. And they went through all the things you go through in learning about relationships and decide this is the person that I want to try and transcend the earthly bounds with. That's what I'm looking forward to. That's why I think it's going to be worth the wait. And I am convinced that in the wait, I have benefited greatly. I have been on this love affair journey with God. It has been wonderful. I love the woman God has helped me to mature to be. Um, I adore her and I feel adored by God. Um, And so it's not just sitting around impatiently waiting. It's been this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful ride and experience. And this is going to be the cherry on the top. And don't bother me if I disappear during my wedding reception. (laughs) Noted. Noted. (laughs) Noted. I think you have to be gentle with your celibacy with your abstinence. Um, it's not like this badge that you flash, like I'm celibate. Are you, are mm. you, you know, you know what I mean? You have to be gentle and understanding that for some people, this is different mm-hmm. and it's, it's okay that mm-hmm. it's, that it's different for them. Like you don't have to be judgmental. Um, you don't have to beat anyone over the head with it. You know, like when I told you some guys are like, nah, that's not me. I'm out. I'm not mad at them. You know, what kind of witness is that? Like, oh, no, you should be with me. No, you're just telling me you're not, you're not the one that God has for me, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not going to beat you up and I'm not going to judge you by whether or not this is something that um, you are capable or willing or even interested in doing. Mm -hmm. All right. I think that there are. I tend to, when I have the conversation with men, have a very gentle conversation. Um, Because, you know, there's a lot of reaction like, well, have you been hurt? Have you been raped? Did someone abuse you? Mm. None of those things. I mean, yes, emotionally. Mm -hmm. But but sexually hurt? No. Raped? No. You know, none of those. I didn't stop having sex because somehow it traumatized me to have sex. Right. And that's the first reaction a lot of guys have. Well, there must have been been something traumatic that Mm -hmm. happened Mm -hmm. that made you do this. And instead of like getting pissed off about them asking me that way, I'm gentle in my response. And I'm like, no, that's not the case. Let me explain to you why I decided to do it. And if nothing else, I do know what most of the men I have spoken to about it. And like I said, I don't talk to everybody about it. They respect my decision. They don't want to live with it, if if you will, like in a relationship with me. But they respect it because they know it's not a reflection on them. Mm -hmm. It's not a rejection of them, Mm -hmm. right? It's an embrace of God and the life that I believe God has called me to live. And so I think that one has to be careful when we talk about legalistic. Christians also have a tendency to beat people up about stuff. Like if you don't see it my way, you don't believe it my way, you don't do it my way, you're the bad Christian and I'm the good Christian. (laughs) And I, I don't, 
I don't think that's what God calls us to do. Mm -hmm. Even if I think the way someone looks at it is not the way we should, that it's not biblically sound, I'm not going to beat them up with that. I'm just going to tell them my story. Mm -hmm. This is my story. Mm -hmm. And you let God talk to you about yours. Mm -hmm. I think that's so good, especially when you think about like pride coming before a fall. And there may be people even listening. I know even in my own walk, I had periods where I was abstinent. I had periods when I was not abstinent in certain relationships. Right. Um, and I could have said like, oh, because I messed up, I'm going to throw the whole thing out. I think the gentleness is also important for the person who's maybe failed at their attempt at abstinence yes. to, if they want to recommit to that, to know it's not too late or right. it's not worth it or that you, we can't start again with God, right. you know? And so I think it, it goes in all different directions, mm -hmm. the need to be gentle, to not be prideful, to not, uh, think that we don't get a second chance at it if right. we want it. You know, it's, I love that you said that. And it's really cool if you, like I've had, I've counseled friends who were able to find um, people to be in relationship with who wanted to make that commitment together. And it's so funny. So one of my dearest, dearest friends, she and her boyfriend wanted to make that commitment. And he was living in Paris at the time on a study thing. And he invited her to come and she called me. She says, you have to go with me to Paris. And I said, why? And she goes, cause I'm going to visit this guy and I'm going to be alone in his apartment. I can't do that. You're my accountability. You're our accountability person. You have to go. So I got on a plane and I went to Paris and the three of us stayed in his apartment. <laughs> and it was so funny because we, she and I took the bedroom and he's like, well, I thought you were going to sleep on the couch. I said, no, 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 no. I'm your accountability partner. We're <laughs> going to sleep in the bedroom and you're going to sleep on the couch. And it was hilarious. But um, we had a great time. We had a really, really fun time. And I left a day ahead of them and they were got engaged the day I left. Wow. They got engaged in Paris. Wow. But that's the three of us had agreed that this was important to them um, even before he took the the, uh, the the academic thing in Paris and that they needed an accountability partner and would I be, because they trusted me, I was friends with them, um, and would I be their accountability partner? And I was, you mm -hmm. know, and I would, and they would both come to me, like when they would struggle, like I really feel like I want to do this. And, and I would talk to them and I would, you know, we would pray together and we would talk about the struggle and they were able mm -hmm. to to maintain their abstinence until they got married, you mm -hmm. know? So some people sometimes need that. Yeah. That, that doesn't mean you're going to take the person to Paris, but, right. but no, but even for Jordan and I, we were abstinent until we got married and there were definitely outside people who helped keep us accountable for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to do. Just like I said, when you are each other's accountability partner, it's darn near impossible. And that's when yeah. you talk about starting over again and getting back up. Those are the things you learn, right? And when you fall, you're like, Oh, Butt naked in the bed with Luther Vandross playing. That doesn't work. Okay. Uh, the <laughs> two of us being each other's accountability partner. That doesn't work. Right? Mm -hmm. God is so much more gracious with us than we are with ourselves. Mm -hmm. God gets it. He gets our heart. Excuse me. He gets our heart. And he knows how much we want to please him. Now, some of us don't. That's the other flip side of it. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people are like, I could care less what God thinks about this. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Mm -hmm. That's between you and God too. Mm -hmm. Right? But when you're earnest... Um, and you really want to grow in your relationship with God, God knows you're going to stumble. I've stumbled, not mm -hmm. in this area, mm -hmm. but I've stumbled in other areas. Mm -hmm. You know, people look at me and say, oh, 32 years of, of abstinence, you are perfect. Oh, no, oh, yeah. no, 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 no. I've done well in this area. Yeah. 
But look over here with some other stuff that some decisions I've made that have nothing to do with this area. And I've stumbled many times, you know? Um, yeah, that's the danger, right? That we turn people into super Christians. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. Which then lets us us off the hook for even trying, right? If it's, right. you're super devout and that's why you're able to do that. I then don't need to put the onus on myself to try. Or they think, you know what? She's got 32 years of experience in this. It's easy for her to do. And it's like, mm -hmm. no, I still need God every single day, just mm -hmm. like you do. Mm -hmm. Every single day, I still need God. The only reason I've made it this far is because God has has walked with me through this. I'm not ever going to say, oh, I got this. Oof, no, I'm good. Mm, put that Luther Vandross on. Turn down them lights. I'm good. This not that will not <laughs> happen, right? It's just, it's, and that's the other part of it. When you ask, like, well, how do you advise someone who's fallen or who's scared about getting started? It's a walk with God. And, and let me tell you something else. It also is great training for how to be in relationship. Because the other thing is you can't always have your way in a relationship. Talk about it. Sometimes you have to put your desires on the back burner for the good of the relationship. Mm -hmm. Right? So this is real good training for that. This is excellent training for being able to, to take a beat and to step back and say, my desire is not the most important thing in this relationship. The most important thing in this relationship is us growing and moving forward and getting down this path that God would have me to go down with God by my side. And that, because I, back when I was sexually active, if I saw you and I wanted you, I had you. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to wait. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that issue, right? I wasn't brought up with that issue like, oh, that's a bad thing. I wasn't brought up that way, right? I didn't have that that issue like, oh, I should maybe never have been with this guy I barely knew. No. Mm -hmm. But when you are walking this path, you have to say, eh, stop, think about it, back up, don't act on instinct alone. This is, may not be the right thing for you to do. You've made a commitment to this, honor this. Even if you can't see where this is leading, this is the commitment you made and you got to stay in it. And even when things are tough and you're feeling alone, and I hear all the time about people who feel alone in relationships and then they want to go and wander out to get that feeling of feeling good again. This, again, is training was like, you got to be okay with being alone and being a little lonely in a relationship and not look for some stimulation outside, but to let things come back together again. Right. Um, all this is, this is all it's training. It's, it's, uh, it's training for life, not just for, for, marriage and relationships it's training in your career to be able to say uh this may look shiny and pretty and cute but let me back up for a second and is this the kind of commitment i want to make and what is going to be the outcome of this you learn a lot of stuff about who you are what motivates you what drives you how to be patient how to have faith when you don't have a clue in the world as to what's going to happen dealing with your own issues about where you think you you know your shortfalls are and your shortcomings are and really trusting that God knows best. And I think oftentimes for me, I didn't really trust that God knew best. I trusted that God wanted something from me, but not necessarily that God knew what was best for me. Hmm. Right. And that's why I would say I would kick and scream and holler and say, I want that one, that one right there, the shiny, pretty one. That's the one I want. And God would be like, no. And I'm like, you're mean God. You're just really mean. Cause 
look, he's successful and he's good looking and he's kind and he's all these. And then you find out that it would have been a complete total disaster because God was looking out for my best. Right. So that's the other thing I've had to go through in these, in these years. It's like really trusting that God is not doing this to be mean. He's not doing this to be legalistic. He's not doing this because it just is in his fancy to withhold this from us. He wants what's best for us. He created us. He knows how we operate. He knows that we crave intimacy. And we have substituted in our society sex for intimacy, and they're not the same thing. And God knows what would make us happy beyond belief. The joy, the indescribable joy is knowing and being known. Yes. To be fully known and fully loved. To be fully known and fully loved. And I always say that the craving of the human heart is to matter for something and to matter to someone. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's the part of this journey where God says, you matter to me and you matter for these people because you're my instrument. Mm -hmm. And so this is part of that fine tuning of the instrument, right? For me, this is the fine tuning of the instrument. Um, so this has been my, my real love story. It's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. yeah, your life truly does point to him and bring him glory. And I'm so grateful for everything that you shared. Thanks for letting me see. I was nervous about being so honest and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, I was very nervous about it. Mm -hmm. But I appreciate you creating the space uh, where I could just tell the truth. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Whew. Okay. There was so much encouragement that I took away from that conversation with Adrian. I love how much she reminded me of God's deep, faithful, unlike anything else, love for all of us. I also really appreciated how honest she was about this commitment, not being a cakewalk, but that she takes it day by day and God's grace has been there every moment she needed it. What a testimony to look back and that she says she'd do it all again because of the relationship she's enjoyed with God and herself as a result. You know, we recently sang a new song at Renaissance called Worthy of It All. And this conversation with Adrian keeps reminding me of the lyrics from that song that say, from you, God, are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. And it's such a game changer when we truly internalize words like that. If we believe we're created solely for pleasure and that our relationships are solely for pleasure, I think we're bound to struggle when those things fail to satisfy. So I am certainly challenged by Adrian's life to think about what it means to be created for something more, to be from God and for all of me to be given back to God. Next week, we will be back here with our final episode in this Real Love Conversation series and Jordan, lead pastor of Renaissance, who I also happen to be married to, will be here. We'll be talking about love, loss, and answer some of the questions you all sent in. So I think it should be a good time. Thanks, as always, for listening and sharing these conversations with people you love. We'll see you next week. 